Amen. Matthew chapter number 1. If you're there in your Bible, would you say, I'm there? Good, that's most everybody, perhaps, that has a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just look around, and if you do have a Bible, maybe you can share with someone that's near you. You can show your Bible to them, and then obviously, if you don't have one at all near you, we'll put it on the screen uh, so you can follow along in the Scripture. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows after his mother was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, now... Uh, When Matthew is writing his gospel here, uh, he does not enumerate or tell us, identify rather, who the prophet is. But if you look in your Bible, you'll find that it was Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, that said the following phrase in verse 23. It's it's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, but Matthew talks about it here. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. That is my title for this message today, God with us. And I am so impacted by those three words that we have today, God with us. Amen. God with us. Uh, Would it it be enough to just have God at our disposal? Uh, Would it be enough to know that somewhere, in some way, we could access God? But yet when, when the scripture tells us about the proximity of this God, And that his name shall be called Emmanuel. The the mere translation of that name is God with us. Not separate from us. Not far from us, but God with us. I'm so thankful that the God of eternity came near to us. I'm so thankful that God's spirit, robed in flesh, came near. Thank God that he is with us today. Thank God that he is with us today. Amen. Lord, in the next few minutes, I'm asking that you will use preaching to help this church. 
to help every person that's listening today and watching today. God, let your anointing flow through your word, and I thank you for it. Let me do a good job preaching, God, and let me honor you with what I say. Speak through the word of God today to these great people. And Lord, thank you for this season. Thank you for what this season means. But Lord, more than the trappings of the season, let us get truth in this season, Lord. Let us just be so thankful that you are with us. You are God with us. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. And I trust in you this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Say with me, God with us. Amen. amen. If you think about everything that this season entails, it is just a potpourri of things. Presents and trees and carols and jam-packed shopping malls. Eager children waiting for you to put those presents under that tree so they can try to figure out what the shape means, what's inside of that box. Toys and cookies and lights. I never will forget, Sister Harden, your husband saying years ago, one of the things that he loves about Christmas is when you drive down the road and you see all of the houses. How many, by the way, put up lights at your house? Would you wave at me if you put up lights at your house? You brave heights and all that. Uh, but every time that he would drive by and see the lights on the house or see the Christmas tree lights, every light spoke to him of this Savior. He said that's what he loves about this, this time of year. And then there's parties and there's shopping and there's mistletoe and hopeful people with mistletoe and then there's greeting cards the non-stop greeting cards and then fruitcake how many fruitcake fans do we have here we have a special time of prayer in the altar for you at the close of this service <laughs> and then there's favorite recipes I know that's a big part of Christmas there's crowds, there's lots of crowds, there's nativities, there are traditions galore. As, as personal as all of our families are, we all have traditions with our families. It really is a, a wonderful time of the year. But is it possible today to pierce through the busyness of a season in a year and find some lasting value, some lingering truth that would be pervasive from one year to the next when we talk about Christmas. And, and, and when you and I open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and we begin to investigate other portions of Scripture that we will look at in the next few moments, we will find that the reality of this story at Christmas time has a foundation which exists as less than fairy tale quality. Now you and I read it, and we get the warm fuzzies about it. We think about the baby in the manger and how wonderful that that is, and it feels kind of cuddly. I look at my nativity scene that sits on top of our piano at my house, and it gives me a good feeling. It's the first thing that we always set up when we're decorating our house for Christmas. And it looks so nice. And yet, if you and I investigate this story a little closer, we will find that it is far from a fairy tale. In fact, it is, it's downright different than a fairy tale. 
In fact, it's fairly dysfunctional. If you really want to get down to the, the, the truth, the story of Christmas and how all this came to be and why we truly celebrate Christmas, if you boil it all down, now we like to look at it from our angle here, you know, post all of that. But when you look at the origin of it, it really is highly dysfunctional. It is far from an ideal existence. Consider with me the main characters that we will talk about over the next couple of weeks. You have Mary. Mary was most likely a teenager. And most traditions feel like she was a very young teenager. Now, I'm not going to go to swords with you on that, but it could have been that she was as young as 12, 13, 14 years old. And she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, let me just perhaps simplify it a little bit to us because uh, that is a term that we don't use a whole lot, betrothal. We don't, we don't talk in terms of betrothal, but if I can just kind of put it in a parallel understanding, it's similar to engagement, but it's, it's a little bit more in-depth than that because when a woman was betrothed to a man in the Hebrew culture, they were as good as married. Uh, this is why when the angel comes and speaks to Joseph, the Bible says he was minded to put her away privately. Well, if it was just an engagement and all that was going to be ruined was the, the video that they shot or something like that, then that's one thing. But it was, it was binding. There was, a, there was an element of this that was far more binding than even our engagement Today, and, and the Matthew record says that to this young Mary uh, came the surprise of a lifetime. Because Matthew records that before they came together, she was found with child. So now you have a young teenage girl, most likely young teenage girl, and she is with child. She is not fully married yet. She's not been with her betrothed husband yet. And now we have a very messy situation. And so I think it's important that you and I pause long enough in this deliberation and this idea of Christmas to stop and draw some truths from this that could help us today. Because I don't want to just read a story and say, that's nice history, I'm glad that happened. It kind of gives context to this Christmas season. But what does God want to speak to us from that passage for today? I want to know, what does Christmas speak to me today? And the first thing that Christmas, this, this whole dysfunctional piece speaks to me, is that a situation doesn't have to be perfect to bring forth something holy. The situation doesn't have to be stellar to produce something holy and powerful. Now, this is enough for many of us to be happy about. Because I look at people today that are wonderful people, but none of us are perfect people. And I look at people today who are wonderful people, but the truth is, in all of our lives, there's some things that are less than perfect. 
<laughs> I never will forget a preacher sitting down in the car with me years ago. I was driving him somewhere, and he said, Brother Gaddy, I want you to know something. Every family has issues. And I about swerved off the road. Because I did not expect that level of honesty. He said, my family has issues. Your family has issues. The people you think are the greatest in the kingdom have issues. Every family has issues. Even the most perfect families in your eyes have issues. Even the families that you think they just fell off of a cloud somewhere. And they were born in heaven. They don't even need to ascend when Jesus comes. They're already there. No, every family has it. Everybody's got things that aren't perfect. Everybody has a need. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Everybody has issues. And just in case the people around you don't believe this, I want you just to look at them and tell them that right now. You've got issues. Tell them that right now. You've got issues. Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't like to talk like that. No, not me. Oh, yes, you. I'm going to get right up in your business. You've got issues. And you know what? You can look back at me and say, Pastor, you got issues, and I will gladly wear that label. We've all got issues, but it doesn't have to be perfect in our situation for God to start working some glory in my situation. It doesn't have to get all together in my life for God to start working something underneath the surface working underneath the foundation of my life that seems like it's broken up and seems like it's this God can get glory out of anything that's given over to him. Now I want you to think about this with me. In order to get glory, which by definition the word glory means excellence, in order to get glory, something has to start off less than excellent. I got it together. Well, you know what? If you got it together, this message is probably not for you. Just put it in your spiritual pocket. You can use it later on when you don't have it all together. But for, some, for God to get glory out of a marriage, then it's got to be a marriage that is less than excellent. But if we can take what is less than excellent and say, God, this is what I have. I give it to you. If we can take the broken pieces of our life, the broken parts of our life, the things that we don't understand, and place it in the hands of our Savior and say, Lord, it's not much. It's broken. It's less than excellent. But somehow, get glory out of this. Somehow, get glory out of this. Amen. My mess does not intimidate God. Neither does yours. Oh, but you don't know my life, Pastor. No, I may not know every detail about your life, but the blood of Jesus is still stronger than any power of hell. The blood of Jesus can still cover every sin, heal every body, touch every addict, set every captive free. I choose to focus not on my inadequacies, not on my lack of excellence, not on my lack of glory, but upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the all-sufficient God, the one who is powerful. Everybody say it. Say, my mess doesn't intimidate God. 
Now in Matthew chapter number one, we see the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus Christ. 17 verses that lay out the family tree. And if you really look at it, it looks more like a family weed than a family tree. Because in that line of 17 verses that lay out the lineage of Jesus Christ himself is Jacob, who is a deceiver, and Judah, who fathered his two sons, Perez and Zerah, by deception of his daughter-in-law, Tamar. In that line, that lineage of Jesus Christ is Solomon, who had a real weakness for women. You have Rehoboam, who was a cruel, insecure, and heavy-handed leader. You have Jehoram. When he became king, he killed his six brothers. Now that will mess up Christmas dinner. In the line of Jesus Christ, you have Ahaz, who embraced heathen worship and mixed it into temple worship. You have Manasseh. He reinstituted Baal worship, a false worship, or God, a worship to a false god. He sponsored the Assyrian cults and had God's prophets executed. In the line of Jesus Christ was Jeconia, who was cursed by God's prophet Jeremiah. You also had in the lineage of Jesus Christ, Jehoiakim, who was a godless tyrant who committed atrocious sins and crimes. All of them in the line of Jesus Christ. And yet at the end of this tale of reality, the Bible says, Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus who is called the Christ. At the end of all of that, you have one who comes from that, that has all glory and all power and all moral excellence. In fact, he was called the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior. I'm so thankful that at the end of dysfunction, there can still come glory. At the end of what we don't understand, there still can come excellence. At the end of our trouble and at the end of what we cannot figure out on our own, there can still come a Savior. I want to make sure we get this today. Our dysfunction and our lack of glory will never cancel out possibility of God. Let's praise God for that right now. Come on, let's praise God for that right now. Come on, somebody help me praise God for that right now. I don't have to stay in my, in my dysfunction. You can get glory out of my life, Lord. Praise God. Secondly, God's plan doesn't appear. It unfolds. This is huge. In fact, I have probably preached on this point more in the years of ministry that I've been preaching than any other topic. And when the Lord brings me back to it, Brother John, it makes me realize he's got something to say to his people. It's not just that I can't figure out anything else to preach. He wants to make sure people get this. 
Most of the time, God's plan does not just appear. Poof. It unfolds. And this is the wonderful thing about God. And this is the maddening thing about God. Because, and I'm going to make this statement one time, and I, I hope I can make it and not be judged too harshly. If I was doing it, which I'm not, I'm not God, I'm not going to take that chair, no. It'd take a whole lot less time. And it would just cut to the chase quicker. If he would just say, here it is. There. That job. I'm going to write it on the wall. You ready? There's your husband. Some of you are going, where, 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 where? Move to that house. Now, how many of you have lived for God long enough to know you wish sometimes he would say just that one word? Now! Amen. <laughs> I think I know what to do. I just don't know when to do it. Go! Now! But here's the issue with that most of the time with God. That requires little to no faith. And some of you have heard me say this before. I've said this a lot when I've counseled with people. In my experiences, God makes his will clear enough to take a step, but he leaves it foggy enough to require faith. He doesn't just tell it all at one time. He lets it unfold. He lets it unfold. Uh, most of the time, we don't see the greatest impact of what God has promised on the front end. We see it on the back end. Now that's, somebody needs to remember that statement right there. As good as it is in the moment, if we will commit to this thing of living for God, I'm not just talking about coming to a church, which I'm thankful we're at this church, but I'm talking about giving your life to the Lord. If we'll commit to that, it gets better and better the longer it goes. How, how many are witness to that right there? Do I have any? You don't have to be an older person, but do we have any older folks or anybody that would just say, yeah, that's true? Now, I think it's interesting to note that the Bible doesn't shy away from telling us in the story that we read what Joseph was minded to do, what he was planning on doing. Ever, have you thought about that? You know, we, we, we get to the part that says that, you know, the angel came, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute. But the verse before that says, now, Joseph was minded to put her away privately. He didn't want to make her a public example. He kind of had some character. And, and even that, we can read that and that get a little like, uh, I don't really understand that. If, if we look in the Old Testament scriptures in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 22, Verses 22 to 27. We will see what the Mosaic law spoke when there was a woman betrothed to a man who then became pregnant by another man. And 
to not get into a lot of detail, you can read that on your own. It's a historical account. It's the law of Moses. And so it's, it's interesting with regard to that. But some of it had to do with the occasion. Some of it had to do with whether she called out for help. And yet there was very clear direction given in the law of Moses for that kind of scenario. And so this gives a little bit of credence, gives a lot of credence to why the Bible says that Joseph, he didn't want to make her a big public example, but he decided this, we're just going to kind of dissolve this because there was within the law of Moses option for divorce for cause of infidelity. That's very clear in the Hebrew scriptures. And so he was getting ready to, to go toward that path. And the Bible tells us that. And then he went to bed. And he had a dream. And Joseph was planning to do what he felt was best. Not a public example, but we're going to dissolve this relationship. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream. And we read it in the text. Don't fear to take Mary to be your wife. She is with child, or as the old saying says, she's in the family way. But that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's not of another man, it's of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to take her and she's going to be your wife. And you're going to call his name Jesus. Now how's that for a sense of humor? Joseph, you're going, she's going to have the baby that you had nothing to do with. And you're going to name it. You're going to name him Jesus. And that name is going to in, 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 encapsulate his role. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to save his people from their sins. So what did Joseph do? Fresh off of a decision to put her away, he goes to sleep and has a dream. And the angel of the Lord speaks to him in the dream. And what does he do when, when he awakes? Verse 24 of Matthew chapter 1. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He simply followed through what the angel said. He simply walked in the word from the angel of the Lord. Now, what we don't see that I think was very obvious is all of the opinion that had to be expressed after that. Without doubt, hey, folks, we live in the real world. Everybody's got an opinion. You should have got rid of her, Joseph. What are you doing? You're justifying this. She's guilty. All of these opinions, and yet all he knew is that the angel of the Lord had spoke. He didn't have clear, crystal clear direction. All he knew is she's going to have a baby, and I got his name. And so he simply walked in what he knew. He, I want to say that again. He simply walked in what he knew. Now, we may say, well... Joseph didn't have a lot of clarity, but Mary, Mary had a lot of clarity, didn't, didn't she? Well, let's look at Mary. Because Gabriel talked to her in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. You talk about messing with her day. Hey, Mary, 
you're going to have a baby, but it's not going to be from Joseph. The Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive. Everybody say will. Everybody say it hasn't happened yet. Now listen, here's what we're going to do. I need you to help me preach right now. I'm going to say the word will several times, and I simply want you to say it hasn't happened yet. Ready? Let's practice. Will. One more time. Will. Okay, so I'm in the Bible. I'm not out of the scripture. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, if the Lord kept saying, hey, it's coming, it's coming. You ever, you ever, you ever had someone borrow money from you? You say, hey, did you forget about my 20 bucks that you borrowed? Oh, it's coming. Then you see him three days later, it's coming. It's coming. After a while, all the wheels start to sound a little bit shallow. Why? Because everything you're talking about is post-dated in the future. And yet Gabriel showed up to Mary and said, if you will simply submit to my plan, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. He will be great. He will have the throne. He will reign over the house of Jacob. There will be no end to his reign. And Mary said to the angel, verse 34, how can this be since I do not know a man? Here we go. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. It will unfold. Mary, if you will just submit to what my plan is for your life, I will take you on a path that will bring a Messiah. And Mary, I know you don't understand this right now, but if you will submit to the path that I have in front of you right now, and you will give yourself to that right now, not only is it going to bless you, not only is it going to bless descendants from your, your womb, it's going to bless people that you've never met in 2022 that are in Arkansas, in the city of Cabot. They're going to be preaching and worshiping about the boy that you have in your womb. There is coming glory if you will just submit one step at a time. Praise God. It will unfold. It will. We see the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching and giving profound insight. But it's sometimes easy to forget that there was a baby in a manger that grew into that man on that mountain. We see the Christ crucified between two thieves on Calvary's cross and forget that that was a little baby in that manger. Isn't it amazing how God chose the pregnancy analogy with his coming to earth? That destiny grows. It doesn't just appear. So let me ask a question here today. 
What is God putting in front of you right now? You say, well, Brother Gaddy, I don't have the picture about the future. I don't have that all. I'm not, I'm not asking that. What is he requiring of you right now? What's he got in front of you right now? Because his plan unfolds. It doesn't just appear. It grows. It's one day after another day. Now, let me finish with this. This awesome Christmas story, this awesome bedrock truth story. Historical, yes, but powerful nonetheless. Has a principle that I think we cannot miss today. And that is this. God always works by invitation and permission. He does. And this is what separates our God from some other gods. Because as I have traveled, I've been to certain places where people do not worship the one true living God. And their worship or their obedience or their life of faith is simply out of fear or duty or feeling some mandate that they have to. And yet, the God that we propose today, the God that I preach this morning, is a God who works by permission, and he works by invitation. How many of you are old enough to remember that old, old song, Come and Dine, the Master Calleth, Come and Dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes, help me, turn the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. Do I need to start singing it now? <laughs> come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the... I'm looking at who's singing he who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. And, and you know, I, I know that's, a, that, that's an older song, and, and yet it is indicative of the call of this God that we talk about today. He calls us to come near him. He calls us to partake in his kingdom. He invites us to draw near to him. And, and, and the same, let me, let me say this, the same thing that is so desirable about this God that he calls us can be the same thing that can separate us from this God. Because he will never come and overpower us and overwhelm us and go beyond our will, because that's not even what he does. It's easy if we're not careful to sit back and become complacent because, bless God, he's never going to make me do it. No, he won't. But that's why we, it's easy to miss the power of a resigned will to an invitation. Because when he calls for me today, if I simply say, yes, Lord, I am open. I, I'm walking after you. I don't have it all figured out, but I am responding to your invitation. There is something so powerful about that. There is something so attractive about that. It is an invitation that is heeded by God people 
In Luke chapter number 1 and verse 38, after Gabriel has spoken so profoundly and clearly to Mary, she has a decision to make. What is she going to do? And the Bible says, 38th verse of Luke 1, Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'll have our musicians come to the instruments, please, and they can begin to play. You know, it's in this, these few words that Mary says in response to the angel that I see a truth that, that is so important that we not miss this. Uh, the first thing that Mary got right was who she was. She said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. And many times in order to get what, we had, what God has promised us, we got to get our thinking right about who we are. Because do you know what can disqualify me from the destiny that God has for my life? If I refuse to believe that God could do that in me. Do you know who my worst enemy is sometimes? Tim. You know, it's a whole lot easier to cast out the devil than to cast out Tim. You know what some of us need victory? We need victory over ourselves that somehow believes, ooh, man, I'm going to tell you something. I felt God just step in here just a second ago. And, you, and I'm not being hooky spooky, but I know when God just nudges me. The thing that can keep us from walking in, I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about over hype. I'm not talking about pride that we're really it, you know. We're God's greatest gift to the world. I'm not talking about that silliness. But a belief that God really could do something through my life. And so because of that, I'm going to open up to it. The first thing Mary said was, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. You've got something great for me. And I believe that I can be that maidservant of the Lord. That doesn't mean I have it figured out. That doesn't mean I have all the qualifications, but I believe that you made me for this moment. Behold, the maidservant. First thing she got right was who she was. And the second thing she got right was she invited God's plan to be done in her life. When she said, let it be to me according to your word. Now notice... And I'm just about done. She didn't say, let it be to me, period. And she didn't say, let it be to me, with just a few minor adjustments. She said, let it be to me, according to your word. This shows that she had great trust in God, that what he had planned for her life even though she couldn't see it, even though she couldn't understand it, even though she couldn't wrap her brain perhaps around it, 
was greater than anything she could come up with on her own ability. Is there anybody in here that you still are amazed by how God works in your life? This doesn't mean you're arrogant. This doesn't mean you're proud. But you're still, you haven't got over being amazed at how God puts the pieces together. And how God allows lives to intersect. And the timing of God to work in such a way that his plan is done in our life. Isn't that amazing? That doesn't get old to me. I want us to stand together. I'd like the privilege to pray over us before we leave this house today. We've had such a great move of the Holy Ghost. We've had such a, a ministering spirit of the Lord, and I would like us to have prayer one more time together. Can I ask you just to join me up here at the front? Just come out from where you are, and let's come together as a church family today. Just guests, members, you don't have to be a member of this church to respond right now. We're just going to come together, and we're going to pray. Praise God. Praise God. When we get our identity right, we invite God's power in our life. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm going to give a moment for us to respond right now. People are coming from all over the sanctuary. Praise God. Brother Daryl, where are you at? There you are. So Thursday, um, I was here at the church and I was getting ready to go home. And I saw Brother Daryl. I'm telling you, that man, you found your calling there in that kitchen, Brother Daryl. You and Sister Heather and Robert, you're like a machine in there. I mean, it's just beautiful to witness that. But I watched Brother Daryl with his apron on. He was carrying something out of the life center to his truck and doing also been here all week really nonstop. Brother Darrell, I got to thinking about walking in your hospital room several years ago, you laying flat on your back. Those doctors didn't know if you'd ever walk again. And here you are moving all around. I'm gonna tell you something. There's miracles all around us, folks. There's miracles all around us. And we wouldn't have planned it like that. None of us would have said, hey, let's go through this to get to that. But, wow, it's God. God's great. God's, God's powerful. He, he knows how to direct our steps and order our steps. And I just want someone to, to believe with me today that on the cusp of this brand new year of 2023 that God's got something for us. God's got a fresh anointing. He's got a fresh season for our life. He's got something maybe new that he wants to do in us spiritually. He wants to draw us closer to him. That we may look up the Lord tearing his coming a year from now and go, wow, there's been some growth in my life. That, that's God's plan. And so what is the next step? And so I just, I just, before I came out here, I just wrote down three statements that I'm going to be praying to the Lord, speaking to the Lord this week. In fact, tomorrow, uh, we'll put this on our social media platform so you can use it this week as you pray. But the first one is this. God, you've got a plan for my life that's greater than my perceived reality. I got to believe that 
greater than my dysfunction. It's greater than what I don't understand. It's greater than all the messiness of my, my life right now. Secondly, God, I choose to be obedient to what you ask of me today. Today. And then thirdly, God, to all that you plan for my life, I say yes. I say yes. Let me say it one more time. God, you got a plan for my life that's greater than my perceived reality. God, I choose to be obedient to what you ask of me today. God, to all that you plan for my life, I say yes. If there is a resonance in your spirit to any of those three statements, I wish you would just tell the Lord that right now as we close out this service today. You just kind of felt a quickening in one of those three areas. Something in the sermon that, that touched you. Pray that out to the Lord right now. Jesus, I thank you for bringing great meaning to this time of year. Lord, it's an ancient story, but it's embedded with truth, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, it's an ancient story that many in this room have heard many, many times. But God, let that story spring alive to us this year and this week, Lord. I pray it in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you understand each of us better than we understand ourselves. You know us better than we even know ourselves, Lord. And I pray that on the very edge of this new year that you would do something fresh, something revolutionary, something significant, Lord, in the lives of all of us. Lord, we're in your kingdom together and we wanna walk together, Lord, but it starts with individual decisions that I make about who I am and what you can do in my life and what I will be obedient to right now. So Lord, I speak blessing and I speak grace over every hearer of the word right now. I speak your presence over every family, God, but we are individually responding to you. And God, I personally say yes to your plan for my life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my will, God, but yours be done. Not my kingdom, Lord, but your kingdom come. I pray it in Jesus' name. I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for blessing your church, Lord. Thank you for this great host of people. I pray your blessing upon every family represented in this sanctuary right now. Let your will be done. Let your providence come in their lives. Lord, let your, your plan be done. Don't let the enemy come in so confusion. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your great care for us. Lord, infuse your people with your strength this week, Lord. Let this be a week of refreshing and strength, I pray, in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. And everyone, would you say amen?